The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We're going to turn in our Bibles to Psalm 35. We are looking at the Psalms this summer. Uh, We uh, love working through the Psalms one after the other. And so what that means is that last week we looked at Psalm 34 about um, desiring God and enjoying God. And then we hit Psalm 35 tonight. Um, and one of the great things about working through the Bible sequentially is that you hit difficult texts. And so Psalm 35 is one of these difficult passages, and it is all about the justice of God and how we orient towards God's justice in Christ's kingdom. Um, and just to be honest, I, I struggle to think through this and work through this, and so we're going to work through this together. Um, and what I'm going to do is we're going to read the passage, and then we're going to pray about it, and then we're going to start looking at this together. Is that cool, guys? All right, Psalm 35. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net from me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it. And let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it to his destruction. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exalting in his salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor. For him, from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy, from, whom, from him who robs him. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things I do not know. They repay me for e- they repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with my head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in the morning. But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered, and they gathered together against me. Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing. They, like profane mockers at a feast, they, they gnashed at me with their teeth. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. I, I will thank you in the great congregation. In a mighty throng, I will praise you. Let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes. Let not those Wink the eye who hate me without cause. For they do not speak peace, but against those who are quiet in the land, they devise words of deceit. They open with their mouths against me. They say, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. You have seen, O Lord. Be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Awake and rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord. My God, according to your righteousness, let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, Aha, our heart's desire. Let them not say, We have swallowed him up. 
Let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall dwell, shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. O Lord, we come to you who are a great God beyond what we can understand. And Lord, we look to your word tonight to understand your justice and your mercy to us. Lord, would you give us a taste of your spirit to know how you have satisfied justice for us and how you will satisfy the injustices in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you guys know the name uh, Rembrandt. Artwork, art guy, right? Dutch. <laughs> Rembrandt um, has famous some famous paintings. This is one of my fam- my favorite ones. Uh, so this is uh, Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, actually, a little funny story about this is that it was in the Boston Museum and it got stolen in the 1990s. Um, still has not been found. So if you ever see it in a movie, it's uh, an allusion to that there with the black market. I, this is all from the Wikipedia page I read. So this is super information. But um, so one of the things about Rembrandt is that um, if you if you study art, if you know anything about art, is that he really focused on light and dark. The way he wrote, he, he the way he did his paintings is he would do these major contrasts between light and dark, and you can kind of see that in this painting. All right, this is Jesus on the Sea of Galilee, and you can see that a lot of the painting is dark, and it sets the stage for where the light draws your attention, and the light draws your attention almost kind of like a funnel from the top left down to see Jesus down at the bottom of the boat. And you can see it in the next painting as well. These are two of my favorite ones. You have Jesus in the, in the boat, and then here's St. Paul, or Paul, if you're not a Catholic, um, writing scripture at his, de- at his desk. And you can see that all this darkness, right? Paul is sitting in the dark, contemplating the mysteries of God. And then here the light comes in from behind him and draws his attention to the, the light of God's word. So the, 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 the point of Rembrandt's paintings were to use light and dark to draw your attention, to use the darkness to draw your attention to the magnitude of what the light was shining on. Right? But you couldn't have the light without the darkness. Right? They both had to go together to give you the full picture of what was going on, to give you the full message of what was going on. And so when we come to Psalms 34 and Psalms 35, we have a bit of a light and dark contrast. Psalm 34 is all about taste and see that the Lord is good, right? God has delivered me and I'm going to tell everybody about it and know that God's been good to me, right? That's all about Psalm 34. And then to contrast it, Psalm 35, we just read it. It's pretty dark. The dark realities of life that God has delivered him from in Psalm 34, but now he kind of dwells on it a little bit more in Psalm 35 and says, here's what that darkness was like. Here's what the injustices of my life were like. I'm describing them. I'm talking about them. I'm bringing them up before everybody, and I'm saying them to God. So you have a bit of a picture of light and dark between Psalm 34 and Psalm 35. And that's the way it is with the Bible, right? There's a lot of parts of the Bible that are kind of dark and difficult to understand, and we often don't understand exactly what to do with them, right? We have all the wars in the Old Testament, and we have um, several psalms in the rest of the book of the psalms. Um, They get pretty violent, get pretty dark, get pretty depressing, 
And uh, there's kind of some ways to deal with that, right? One way is just to kind of say like, oh, well, that's not really the Bible. The, real, the, the, Bible, the Bible's message is all about God's love and all that other stuff is really just kind of like not really a part of the Bible. What that does is it, it begins to take away half the picture, right? I mean, if you had a picture of light without the, the darkness to contrast it against, you wouldn't really understand. You wouldn't, you wouldn't understand what was going on in the picture, but then if you realize it wouldn't fit or make sense with our lives. There's a lot of dark stuff that goes on in our neighborhoods, in our block, in our own hearts, in our lives. There's a lot of dark stuff. And if we just kind of like take away the dark stuff of the Bible and say like, well, that's not really the Bible and that's not my God. Well, you're really kind of cutting yourself short of all that God offers and reveals about himself in the Bible for us. So we're going to do... When we look at this psalm, is we're going to be looking to try to understand what do we do with this passage? What do we do with this chapter of the Bible? Or how do we even engage with these dark dark topics of the Bible? Right? That these parts of the Bible where it's it seems like it's vindictive and it's mean and it's all that judgment stuff, what do we do with that? Because if we if we stick with the Bible and we stick with what God has shown us about himself, if we take the light of Psalm thirty four, God, you're great and you delight my soul. In Psalm 35, God, I'm being afflicted without cause. This is not right. If we take those and put them together, what we get is we get a God that we can trust who's wise and good, who will vindicate his name. Right? If we're looking at the psalm, and the, and the main point of the psalm is that we can trust our wise God to vindicate his name. Because at the end of the day, the Bible is all about God and God making sure that his name and all who trust in his name are vindicated. That means shown to be right, right? They're made right at the end. And so what we're going to do is we're going to ask three questions of this passage as we work through it. And the first one is real basic. How do we think about hard texts, right? It's the first thing we're going to look about is just ask, how do we think about hard texts? How do we think about hard texts like this passage? And what we're going to do is we're going to ask a few questions about it. And if you guys have ever done a good grammar, a good grammar class, right? Who, what, where, when, why, and how? We're just going to ask a few questions about this passage just to kind of get us into how do we understand Psalm 35? So who, who's writing this passage? That's the first question we want to ask. How do we understand hard text? Who's writing this passage? If you look at the top, it says, of David, right? You guys, remember, we can do a little bit of some interaction. You know, David, David was the king. He was uh, the king who took over after Saul. Right, he was the, actually from First Kings. He was Solomon's dad. Um, David uh, is said to have been a man after God's own heart, and he was the king. Right, and he was graciously selected by God out of all this kind of chaos that was going on in the country uh, to be God's representative, to be God's king, to lead God's people. So the next question is, what? What did he write? What did he write in Psalm thirty-five? He wrote about, and if you look at verse 7, this is kind of like the main point or the main kind of issue in Psalm 35. For without cause they have hid their net from me. David is being afflicted without cause, right? He's done nothing to provoke them. He's done nothing to get, uh, get the rabble-rousers at them. He hasn't put out a tweet that made them think, look, this guy is the worst king ever, right? He didn't have a Twitter account to make people question his judgment all the time. Right? He has, without cause, had people come after him for no reason. They are trying to curse him and undermine him and gossip about him. 
they're called the wicked. And so David is writing about this experience, right? That, at, at face value, David's just saying, here's my experience. I, without cause, they're coming after me. Where, the, the question, the next question is where, right? How do we understand hard text? Like, well, where is this text in the Bible? Well, where is this text in the Bible? It's in the Psalms. Yeah, yeah, it's a real easy question. <laughs> it's in the Psalms, right? And the Psalms is a collection of prayers, right? It's, it's, it's a collection of people's experience, the full range of human emotion, the full range of human emotion directed towards God. But not only that, where is it in the Bible? It's in Psalm, it's in the book of the Psalms, but it's in the first book of the Psalms, right? The Psalms is broken up into five books. And the first book, except for two Psalms, are all written by David. And the book of the Psalms has a trajectory that says, the king is God's, and by the end of the psalm, end of the Psalter, uh, end of the book of Psalms, it's all about God being the king, right? That has this trajectory of like, David starts out as God's king, and it ends with God being the king of the nations. That's the way the direction of the book goes. And so the first book is all about God being a king, and it's not just this random collection. I'm sorry, it's all about David being the king. So David is God's king, who's a representative of God in the first book of the Psalms, and when is it written? So this is one of those tricky questions with the Psalms. So we're just trying to walk through these questions to try to understand how do we get our handle on these Psalms. So Psalm 35, we have no idea when it was written in terms of like, you know, timeline. Like, I can't tell you that it was written yesterday. I can't tell you that it was written um, 5,000 years ago. It was written by David, so it was written during David's time, lifetime. But the book of Psalms was collected in the storyline of the Bible, it was all put together at the end of the storyline of the Old Testament. It was all put together after Israel had been decimated out of their own homeland. They'd been taken out. They'd been gone. They'd been in, in Babylon for a long time, and they're all coming back to the promised land, and that's when the book of the Psalms is collected and put together. So it puts a little bit of a different tone on the Psalms when they're ordered together and put together when you recognize that they are put together after all this major, major, major suffering, right? It's kind of like if you ever sing Southern spirituals or black spirituals from the South, right? They, they, they take on a different meaning when you sing these songs, right? The, there is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. Sometimes I feel discouraged that, and think my work's in vain, and then the Holy Spirit reveals, revives my soul again. Right? That's a great song, but if it's written by slaves who are trusting in God, when they sing, I think my work's in vain, adds a little bit of a different tone to it, right? So when you look at a psalm like this that talks about God's enemies having pillaged and come against God's people, God's king, it takes on a different tone, doesn't it? It takes on, oh... This isn't just kind of like David had kind of like a feud on the block and there were some guys who were like spray painting his front door. Like, no, the, this has the tone of, no, we, we've, been, we've been wronged. This is serious. I've had people come after me. This is unfair. And they've taken everything away. All right, so that's, where, that's when it's written, right? Not sure when in terms of during David's lifetime, but in terms of when it's placed in the Bible placed after this major suffering. Why is it written? And this begins to get us into the key of the psalm. This part where it says, of David, is really important for why this psalm was written. See, David, as the representative of God, the king of God's people, 
if somebody came after David, if somebody came after David specifically as the king, it was like attacking God. It was like attacking God's purposes on the earth. It was like attacking God's message and purpose, right? So it's like if somebody wants to kind of like undermine the patriot's reputation, right? They go after Brady or Be- or, or uh, Belichick. Sorry, name dropped out of my head for a second, and Bill's looking at me in condemnation. <laughs> no, so you know, you you go after the figureheads, you go after the key the key guys when you're trying to undermine somebody's reputation and purpose. And so when somebody's coming after David. And they're afflicting him with major suffering and unjust um, actions and, you know, coming after him and slandering him and talking bad about him and laying, you know, nets and causes to try to capture him, right? They're coming after God. It's basically, they're attacking God. Um, so that is why it was written. And then how? Like, it, it's really simple. It's a prayer, right? So how do we understand this passage? Well, it's, it's an invitation into, God, this is not right, right? This question of, God, this is not right what's happening in my life, what's happening in, in the world around me, it's not life. And it seems like it doesn't match up with who you are. Like you've told us that you're good, but then this is happening? God, this doesn't make sense. So the, the fact that it's a prayer actually invites us into the Bible and to experience God's story, to experience what God's going to do in this psalm and in David's life so that we can experience God's help for us in, in pain. Because right, there's this bewildering reality, right? I don't know if you noticed in verse 17. Right? How long, O Lord? How long? How long is this going to go on? How long is it going to keep being like this? You see, the thing is, that the Bible gives us these handlebars for dealing with the injustice in our lives. To be able to go to God and say, God, what is up with this? Right? It, it's The Bible's not like a big Hallmark card of like, don't worry, trust God, it'll get better in the end. Well, it is good, it does get better in the end. <laughs> but it does tell us between now and then, it gives us some handlebars of how to, re- how to respond to God, how to talk to God about this stuff, to be able to take words in the dark realities of our lives and go to God with them, right? It, it shows us that God is not unaware of our suffering, of the injustice in our world. Um, I mean, justice is a major topic that is going on right now. I don't know if you guys have paid attention to the news. There's a lot of injustice going on in the world, and people are talking a lot about it. Um, but God does. He's not ignoring it. I remember listening to, um, have you guys know the, uh, Louis C.K.? He's uh, one of the major comedians today. But he, when he talks about kind of like the, the, the hard stuff of life, the suffering of life, he's just kind of like, yeah, life's hard. Like, get over it. That's not what the Bible does, right? The, the Bible doesn't just say like, God, life's hard, get over it. Like, it's just the way it is. It's not that great, and then you die, and then it's done. That's not the way God engages suffering. God, God engages your suffering and says, I, I care about your suffering and the injustice of our lives so much. Here, here's what I'm going to give you 28 verses in a whole psalm to tell me about it, to tell me how wrong it is in your life. <laughs> God's... God's perfect word includes words that say, God, what is up with this? Could you imagine that? Like, if I gave my kids, like, um, okay, Owen, whenever you have a problem with daddy and you don't like what daddy's doing, here is the objection card, right? Here's, the, here's how you object to daddy and say, daddy, what is up with this? It's unfair that you gave Isaac something and it's unfair that I'm getting punished right now. <laughs> but that's what God's doing in Psalm 35. He's saying, 
Here's how you talk to me when things are not going right. It, that, should, that should stir our faith that like God cares about the injustice and pain of our world. He cares about it so much that actually he, he gives us the words to be able to say, God, this is not right and what is up with this? I, I find that incredibly encouraging, right? That God isn't kind of like meh about our suffering, right? God actually gives us words to talk to him about the injustice of our lives. So, how do we think about the hard text, right? I think we kind of, few categories of how to think about hard text. So let's start looking at this. How do we, how do we pray about injustice, right? That's, that's what the psalm is all about, this injustice of David's life. So let's kind of look at this and kind of think about, right, how do we pray about the injustice of our lives, right? The first thing that we just kind of notice that off the bat is we acknowledge its reality, right? <laughs> it, it, there's all, all through this psalm is just David saying, like, what is up with this? So he, there's like six ways that he talks about the reality of the injustice in his life, right? It's unprovoked attackers in verse seven through eight, right? Without cause, they spread their nets for me. They're coming after me, right? They're laying the trap. They got the booby trap, like the, you know, like the little like invisible string as you walk through the door, right? They're laying the trap for me without cause, right? They are weak, and vile, the weak and the violent are oppressed, right? You notice in verse 9 through 10, right? Deliver the, the Lord who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, right? Here, here's these guys, whoever these, these wicked people are, they're coming after the weak and the oppressed, right? So when we pray for the kids of Roca, right? If you're trying to think like, who are the weak and oppressed in our neighborhood? Like, kids of Roca, right? There's been times where they have... Uh, Pastor John at Hope Tabernacle has found the kids just like wandering on the streets to go to the grocery store at the corner to get a bag of chips for breakfast, <laughs> right? Because he sneaked a couple dollars out of his mom's bath, uh, purse. They're the weak, right? So these guys are laying traps for the weak in their communities. The, the, uh, they are unknown busybodies. Verse 11, malicious witnesses rise up to me, uh, rise up to me and ask me the things that I do not know, right? And it goes on to talk about, I don't even know who these people are, right? They're anonymous uh, bloggers. They're anonymous Twitter handles. <laughs> they're anonymous sources saying like, hey, did you, did you hear that, this thing about Jacob, right? <laughs> Actually, nobody's done that, just so you know. But um, these, are, these are like unknown busybodies who are coming after him and saying like, talking about him behind his back, right? Uh, secret leaks about his personal life that are not true. Betrayal of friendship, verses 12 through 14, right? They repay me evil for good, right? And talks about, look, when they were sick, bro, I was setting up the food train. I was getting them food. I was going to Walmart. I was getting them uh, Tylenol, and I was getting them Gatorade. I was making them ramen noodles. Um, actually, if it was Jen, it was better food than ramen noodles. But it was, I was making food for them and caring for them, Right? And then, what's the, what's the heck? They give me, the, the payback is they give me a bunch of, you know, gossip stew, handing it out, and, they, and telling people all this bad stuff about me, right? <laughs> Betrayal of friendship. They were, they were going behind his back, and they were throwing, they were throwing a slander at his friend, right? Unknown scoffers at weakness, verse 15 to 16, right? None of us like to be, uh, admit our weaknesses or know that, like, hey, I'm not great at stuff, Right? Um, right, and I'm not talking about like, um, uh, oh, I'm like, I, I can't get my email box to zero. Like, that's not like a real weakness. <laughs> like, a weakness would be like, 
I perpetually forget to put things in my calendar or I just, I don't remember my wife's birthday or for the life of me, um, I just cannot figure out how to organize my life. Um, so they can get progressively like weaknesses, but could you imagine like somebody saying like, can you imagine like Jacob doesn't know how to get his life together? Like can't put things on his calendar, like doesn't know how to get his to-do list done. Like who is that guy? Like why is he in charge? Like why is he the pastor? talking about our weaknesses that like look like they're just there's not bad just there's parts of our life that we aren't good at but then using them as weapons against us and then verse 19 through 20 21 right they're deceitful so this is the 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 picture just keeps getting darker right they they rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes and they let not uh and let not those uh um and let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause. So wink the eye. Like what, what's up with that phrase? Like wink the eye is kind of like um, saying one thing and meaning another, right? It's a, it's a bit of like a phrase for like winking the eye, like, oh, I'll be there. You know, like that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, it was a, it was a great time with David at the movies, right? Or something like that, right? It was, you know, like just kind of like winking the eye, meaning one thing, but saying another. That's what that phrase means, right? So this is the picture of what's going on, right? They're unprovoked attackers. They're weak and violently oppressed. Unknown busybodies, betrayal of friendship, unknown scoffers at weakness, and deceitful. Bro, these, these are some messed up enemies, <laughs> right? But the weird thing is that they're not just kind of like, one category like they're kind of like amorphous and they kind of shapeshift from one thing to the next and they're that's the way sin and evil and injustice in the world is right it's kind of like you try to press down on one and like a balloon with water in it like it kind of like inflates in another area right it's like it's always shape-shifting you can't quite get your handle around it but it's just this picture of like this is unprovoked and messed up this is not right so we recognize the reality but then recognizing like this is hard Right? Can you imagine, like, so all this stuff, like, you know, pressing down, it comes up in this area, you press over there, and it's like this, and you're the receiver of it? That's hard stuff. Got betrayal on one side, right? Got slander and people gossiping about you on the other side. Things that just don't seem to add up. You can't seem to get an advance. You can't seem to get ahead. It's always an attack one way or the other, right? And so you can feel the force of verse 17, how long, O Lord, will you look on? Verse 22, have you seen, O Lord? Be not silent. Verse 23, awake and rouse yourself. God, wake up. <laughs> what is going on with this? Isn't that crazy that the way God tells us to pray about the injustices of our lives is to recognize them and then to respond to God by saying, God, what is up with this? Where are you at? I think that's crazy that God gives us this prayer and says, God, where are you? (laughs) This is messed up. But the psalm doesn't just leave us there. You notice the beginning of Psalm 35 here. Contend, O O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight for me. Take hold of shield and buckle and rise for my help. Right? You get the image of a guy running out of his castle with like grabbed up his shield, grabbed up his, his spear, and kind of like Aragorn running the, the gates of Mordor. Like, ah! Right? Draw your spear and javelin against my pursuer. Say to my, say to my soul, I am your salvation. Right? 
God, here's my main hope amidst all the injustices that I'm experiencing, and I'm going to tell you about everything that's going on. God, come to me and say to my soul, you are my salvation. This is a really evocative picture, right? It's a picture of hope. God, I, I don't want these injustices that I'm talking to you about, that I'm telling you of, that they're going on, that are hard and difficult. I don't want them to define me and hold me. God, I want you to be my salvation. I want you to be my anchor and my savior. God, say to my soul, you are my salvation. So the first thing is just say, looking for God to be my salvation, right? Right. The second thing, right, 4 to 10, looking for God to be his vindicator, right? God, God, don't leave me. Vindicate your name. This isn't right, right? So not only is it hope, but trusting in God. God, this isn't right, but you're going to take care of this. God, you're going to help me. God, I'm, I'm praying to you because you say that you hear prayer and you want to help those people who look to you. Right? God, I, I'm looking at you. <laughs> that, and then verses 11 through 21 kind of gives you the sense of like perspective amidst all of these, these this, uh, the stuff that's going down. Puts it in perspective. Okay, God. I helped these people, and now they're destroying me. But you haven't left me. Right? It was love, you'll notice. I find that fascinating. They repay me, verses 12, they repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. Right? And he doesn't say, I regret it. I regret being their friend. I regret helping them and blessing them. Right? It's not cynical. Right? That's the way, I mean, if they were just kind of say, like, what's a major thing going on in our culture that we have to be aware of that affects our own soul, that I, I find myself susceptible to all the time, is a cynical attitude. People are always going to let you down. You can't trust them. Why invest in friendships when you know you're going to get hurt? It's better for me to be independent and on my own and just take care of me People are always going to come after you. They're always going to let you down. They're going to disappoint you. Right? The cynical attitude that thinks that, that bad stuff and death and destruction is always the result. You notice, here he's got some pretty bad stuff going down, right? <laughs> my friends have turned their back on me and they're talking about me behind my back. But I don't regret being their friend. Like, that's pretty phenomenal, right? That... that that is, that is God giving him perspective on how to think about his friendships. I am called, the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. There's no promise that your neighbor will love you in return. There is a promise that God loves you in return. <laughs> but there's no promise that your neighbor will love you in return. And he's acting on that, right? I don't know what your friendships are like and how people have turned their back on you. But... There's no reason to regret being their friend, even with all the friendships that have fallen apart. All the bad things they've said about you, all the slander they've spread about you, all the ways that you have fasted and prayed for them, maybe. Hours crying, trying to figure out how to save the relationship, and it just will not be fixed. There's no regret for the friendship here. I think, because David recognizes that his friendship and the reward for his friendships are in God and not in people because people will let you down, right? If you want to know, just to give you a heads up, as your pastor, I'm going to disappoint you at some point. 
But your prayer shouldn't be, God, give me a better pastor, even though maybe you should pray that. Your prayer should be, God, give me more of you. <laughs> right? It's, we don't regret the friendships and the ways people disappoint us because we get God. That's what Psalm 34 is all about. Right? And then he ends the this, uh, this psalm, verses 22 through 28, by celebrating. God, I, here's the thing. I want, here's how I pray about my, the injustices in my life. I want your name. I want your name to be vindicated. You know, that's one of the things that's going on in the psalm. We, we can read this and think, man, like, that is vindictive, man. Like, he is going after these people, and it is on. But here's the thing. It's never personal. I don't know if you noticed that, right? Through the whole psalm, it's personal in the sense of, like, things were done against me. But the reason that he wants the justice to be done is so that God's name can be vindicated, so that, so that God can be shown for who he is, so that God can be seen as righteous and good. And that's why it's important that it's written by David, right, God's representative, and not Jacob, <laughs> just a regular old dude. <laughs> this is about God making his name look great because God promised to be good, and when bad things happen... God, you're on the line for this. How, does this. how does this measure out? You're the one that said that you're going to be good and just. So God, I'm bringing it to you because you've got to make this right, not me. Right, you understand that perspective, what's going on there? I find that it's, what this does is, again, these sort of psalms, is they, they give us language for the suffering and the injustices of our lives, right? The wife who's been, the, like a friend of mine, I remember, wife who's been faithful to her husband for 15 years, comes out that he's had an affair, leaves the faith, leaves her. Now she's got four kids in her hands and try to come up with a job, try to provide for her family. That's messed up. That's not right. That should not happen. God weeps at it, and he gives us the prayers of how to respond to it. I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what the injustices are that have been done in your life. We, I mean, we could talk about what are, what are the prejudices that we've experienced? What are the, the racial dynamics that we have experienced? What are the things, um, the abuse and the things that have happened in our life? The trauma that's gone on? We could talk about that stuff. Psalms like this, it gives us language of how to respond. God, where are you? Where are you, God? Say to my soul that you are my salvation. Right, and this isn't just unique to the Old Testament. You can look at Second Timothy 4, if you want, tonight. You'll see a prayer by Paul there. It's kind of a prayer, kind of a report, where Paul goes into like, look, everybody deserted me. <laughs> everybody left me. Except for, except for uh, Mark, who actually betrayed me at one point, and now he's my friend again, <laughs> right? But there's also Alexander the coppersmith, and may God bring judgment upon him, right? Because Paul recognized with David that when somebody comes against the gospel and they come against us specifically because we're Christians, they are coming after us, not because of anything special about us, but totally because of Jesus, right? And it's, it's Jesus that we want vindicated. We want Jesus to be seen to be great, and Paul's praying the same thing. One thing I want us to see here is also that Paul or, or David's prayer is not to <laughs> David's prayer is his his hope is not in the problems being solved. His hope is in God solving. Right? It's his hope is in God. 
right? We can look at our problems, like the way that we talk about social injustice these days tends to have the flavor of, if we just got rid of all of racism, the world would be right, right? If we just got rid of all the sexism going on in the world, the world would be right, right? It, it makes the problem, the solution to the problem, like, that's the savior, right? Once we get the solution for the problem, that's the savior. <laughs> David is looking for God to be the savior. God is the one who will be his help, right? So the problems being solved in your life, the more important thing is that God comes in, not that the things get fixed. That's, we, we cook, we good guys? <laughs> Sorry. I know that we're laughing about the phone thing, but it's not a big deal. <laughs> It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. That, that's, that's normal. Yeah. So we're going to look at the last thing here, guys. How do we trust our wise God for justice? You guys hang in with me? Is it a little warm to you guys here? We're good? So we've been looking at how do we understand hard text? And I'm trying to, what I'm trying to do there is equip you to how to read these psalms and to think through them and how to think through them with your non-Christian friends of like, this is actually help for you, right? And then how do we pray these psalms, right? How do, we, how do we take these difficult texts and turn them into real prayers? And then how do we take these difficult texts and how do we trust our wise God for justice? Right, we could, we could go through the list of all the injustices going on in our world. I, I have to admit that when it comes to this category... I just feel incredibly small and ignorant and I just don't understand. Right, we could, I just think about, I mean, we talked a little bit about the racial stuff. I don't understand how to think through that, to be honest. I, actually, our friends at Hope, um, Risen Hope Church down in Philly, they're doing some great work and I'm, I'm trying to lean into them to try to understand this stuff. I don't understand how to think through this really well. Right, we, more on our side of the city, I think of the drug stuff and the collateral damage of the drug stuff. How do we trust God with the injustices of a little boy not having his mom on Mother's Day for the last three years? And the injustice of that for his life. Right? How do we think about that for the for the, the tragedies that we learn about in our families that we see in our friends around us? I, I, how do we how do we do that? How do we think through that? I think the place that we start is in a humble posture. And I want to show you how we get that from the text because it's actually right here and Jesus picks up on it. Verse 7, I don't know if you guys notice this. For without cause they hid their net from me. I don't know if you guys think about the life of Jesus, but Jesus actually quotes this in John 15. And he says over in John 15, if the world hates you, Know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the, wor the word that I said to you, a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they know they do not know him who sent me if they had if i had not come and spoken to them they would not have been guilty of sin but now they have no excuse for their sin whoever hates me hates my father also if i had not done among them the works that i have also no one else would have, 
no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. He's talking about the cross, right? If, they, if I had not come and performed the wonder of God's miracle in pursuing the lost and going to the cross to die in their place, they would have con- we would have all continued in our hatred of God. But the word that was written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. <laughs> right? The reason that people hated Jesus without cause was because we could not stand the light of God in the midst of such deep darkness in our own world. Revealing who we are. Revealing how deep our, our opposition, our strong-fistedness against God is. But Jesus was, is, is the true and only man who's ever lived who could fulfill that they hated me without cause. We are innocent of a lot of the things that we are victims to, but we are born into a world guilty of sin. But Jesus, born into this world, was guiltless, without sin in every way. He never did anything, unlike David. David, who did a lot of stuff to provoke the bad things in his life. Jesus was the perfect king who walked perfectly in God's will towards the cross, knowing that the the trap was set, right? And I remember from Psalm 35, right? God, let the trap that they set for me come back upon them, which is true in Jesus, right? We sing the song, death was arrested. Jesus Christ came and died his death in our place so that we could be free from the darkness and sin and evil and guilt in our lives. But the death trap that was set for Jesus killed death, It killed our sin. It put sin to death in the death of Christ, right? Jesus walked up onto the cross and died in our place so that the trap that was set for us would fall on Jesus but set us free. Jesus, who was innocent now, would be free not only from the chains of death but would lead us into into freedom freedom from sin and death in his own life, right? Jesus was the perfect king who perfectly prayed, right? They, hit, they hated me without cause. And so now when we are in Christ and we love Jesus and we love Jesus together, people are going to hate us. There's going to be injustice that happens in our life, right? Job promotions you know, held back because we're a Christian. Other massive injustices that we have no way of predicting what they're going to be. But the way Jesus ends this is not just to say, hey, this is a reality you're going to have to face. It goes on in John 15 to talk about the helper, right? I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that indwelt Jesus as he was perfectly obedient to God, right? The Holy Spirit that was God's presence of comfort upon Jesus amidst the trap falling upon him, right? They hated me without cause. Now we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us so we know God's not left us. Where are you, oh my Lord? God, where are you? The Holy Spirit's with us. We have the Holy Spirit with us now. As we walk through trial and and justice, we can rely on the Spirit to help us. But we recognize that we were were once the ones, right, condemning God and Jesus. We were the ones coming after God. But now in Jesus, God is the one coming to us and through us. Gives us a humble posture to work through these things know that we are walking behind Jesus on this path of whatever the injustices are that we see. Right, Jesus, Jesus was able to pray this prayer, this specific prayer of Psalm 35, because he trusted in his Father's will for him. And now the Spirit indwells us so that we can trust the Father's plan in our own lives, 
that yeah, he's true and he's good and he's wise. He he knows what he's doing, right? We we had we read Romans eight before. We're going to use Romans eight for Romans eight for our confession of faith. God, you know what you're doing. I don't understand. God, give me the words to pray and the faith to trust because I want to trust you as my sovereign and good God. I want to know you. I want to feel your presence. I want to know your goodness to me. God, I don't know how to work through this, but God, I want to see you and know you, which will one day lead for us, lead us to the day where we will see with John a new heaven and a new earth come down, right? A city prepared for us with God. He says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes for all the injustices that we've experienced in our lives. All the suffering and pain that's not right. All the things that are messed up that we've cried about and the friendships that have been lost and the the years that we felt have been wasted. All the things that are not right that we've cried about. Right, Jesus knows those things. And he will stoop down and wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things will have passed away. Right, that's the God that we believe in and trust. That's that's the God that Psalm 35 believes that they will see that day. God, I'm going to see that day when all these things that are not right will be made right. Right? So that we can end... Like Psalm 35. We can do this together. We notice at the end of Psalm 35. Where does Psalm 35 end? God, I want to praise you with your people. Guys, we can't do this alone. We, we, this psalm is teaching us to trust in our wise God to vindicate his name. But we can't do it alone. We've got to do it together. Right? We're all New Englanders and we don't we like to trudge it through alone. <laughs> Live free or die. Now we have to live together so that we will one day see God's vindication of his name. Between now and then, let's trust our God, our wise God, to vindicate his name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I ask you would help us to, tr- to trust you. Know that you're wise and how you lead our lives. And God, we ask that you would help us amidst the suffering and trial that we're experiencing in our lives. to know that you're wise and good, that we can lean on you and know your nearness to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.